Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, here is Pastor James Myers. Okay, we have talked about this for a long time. Remember even when we introduced the apologetics uh, series, I talked specifically about us looking at Paul and Mars Hill even then, and we're finally getting there, and what I'm going to do is resist the temptation, because, I mean, we can go on forever about this, but the subject is not philosophy. We're going to have to talk about it a little bit, and, and kind of the history, brief little history, and but then we're really going to talk about, uh, specifically, the Word, and we're really going to be looking at wisdom today, okay, what true wisdom is, okay. All right, let's go ahead and read. It's okay. Okay, okay. So again, we're going from verse 16 to verse 23. Now when Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and their foreigners were, uh, who were uh, there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscri- inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Okay. So, 16 through 21. Basically, I have one slide after this, and then we're going to consider some things, that, or something that Christ said, and then we'll conclude. Remember, we're trying to make these 40 minutes now. Probably should have said that before. Okay, 16 through 21. Now, while Paul waited for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, What does this babbler want to say? Others said, He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know uh, what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you were uh, bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Let me see. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, Okay, so this is a depiction of, I mean, this is modern Athens where this is the Areopagus. So back then, you even see it in the Old Testament, the, the, the pagans would build their worship temples on an uh, acropolis. So acro means high. Think about acrobatics. And then polis is a city. So it's on a high city. So they put their temples on a high hill. This is called Mars Hill. So the Areopagus, that comes from the Greek god of war, Ares. So and let me just show you real quickly a depiction of kind of what this looked like in the beginning. So in inside the temple, there would be three different statues of the Greek god uh, Athena, okay, which was 
Maverna in, uh, in Roman categories. But uh, Ares was the Greek god of war. In Roman categories, it was Mars. That's why we call it Mars Hill. Sometimes it's interchangeable. It's Areopagus or Mars Hill. Okay, so now, with, and when you go to Athens even now, you can't help but see this area, the Areopagus, especially at night because it's so well lit. This is a blurry picture, but it's really beautiful. It's really nice. In Paul's time, in Paul's time, again, Athens was the capital of Greek philosophy at that time, okay? And so, and there were tourists then because it was a magnificent city. The architecture, the, the statues, some of the statues of uh, uh, Athena were marble and gold. It, like, it's really nice. The, that uh, statue of Ares right here was about 50 feet tall. Very tall. Okay. Um, okay, so most people go and they visit there and they're just in awe of the architecture and, and, and these handmade things, the craftsmanship and all the rest. Paul is provoked within himself when he saw the city was given over to idols. So most men and women, when they go to Athens, they're in awe. Paul's heart is grieved because he sees all, the, all this wonderful craftsmanship, all, these, all this wonderful, beautiful things, idols. They're all idols. The whole city was given up to idols, and it <coughs> grieves his heart because... A man who has come to Christ has a different heart than all the rest. And he sees through a different perspective than everybody else. So when he comes to Athens, he's provoked because of the idolatry. He's saddened. He's grieved by that. Just like in our day, we ought to be grieved to the tendency to worship idols in, in such a way that's not as obvious. You're not bowing before statues. But again, everybody has a God. Everybody has a God. It's just determining who that God is, kind of a thing. Okay, and we'll kind of get to that somewhat. Oh, yeah. Uh, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue because that's what he does, right? That's what he always does uh, with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers. And then he goes in the marketplace. He was doing that in other areas too, daily, but especially here. He's making that a point here. He's going in the marketplace because that's where everybody would go and pretty much listen to different people too. Again, you, get, you can't think of like an HEB. The marketplace is kind of the hub center of the city. And like, you know, a lot of things go down there, like trials and stuff too, as we've seen in, in other occasions. So he's going to the marketplace daily with those who happen to speak to those who happen to be there. Okay. Now this is okay. First, before we even talk about Epicurean and Stoicism. So I just want to brief, very brief, very brief, hopefully account of philosophy, especially Greek philosophy. Greek philosophy started on May 28th, 585 BC. Okay, the reason we know that was because there, there was a solar eclipse at the time. And a guy named Thales, who was a scientist and a great mathematician, great mathematician, was able, because of that solar eclipse, to predict those, the ones to come after that, mathematically, you know, kind of a thing. And so what, what he started to do, what, what, and what the philosophers following him were, were starting to do, what he wanted to do, is find what he called the apeiron. Okay, remember when we started that apolog our apologetic series, we even talked about what the philosophers were looking for was the unity and diversity, right? You see all the diversity there. What is the one thing that brings these things together? 
the unity and diversity. Remember, that's where we get the word universe and university, okay? And the difference between the one and the many. That's something else we can talk about. So Thales, I don't want to get into too much. He, he came to the conclusion that it was water. The ultimate reality, what, what was the source of ultimate reality is water because it has those three different forms that you see in all different in, in in the world you know it can be a solid it can be a liquid it can be a gas and he sees in the world everything is pretty much either a solid a liquid or a gas so he just attributed to water heraclitus later would say it's fire uh, and Anaximander would say it's air and that's where we and then we eventually got earth where air wind and fire and then the question then was Wait, you were, we were saying that we were looking for the one ultimate reigning, uh, you know, thing that brings all these things together. You're giving us four. And that's where we got the word, because what they're asking, what is the fifth essence? What is the quintessence? That's where we get the word, quintessential. So what is the fifth essence, the ultimate essence that brings all thing, these things together? So they're looking for the apeiron. In the Bible, it says it on the first page of Scripture. In our K. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to get to that. That's where true wisdom is found. These people are trying to seek the ultimate reality, this thing. This remember, we even looked at the difference between the philosophy, the, the philosophy of the Greek and our faith. Where where when we were arguing for the God's existence, you know, we did use Aristotelian categories to get there but then we launched off <laughs> because he stayed with um the the logos as being basically this impersonal thing i mean he would kind of talk about him like a person but it was he was just this abstract far away being let's put it that way we're in the we're in biblical categories he's a person who is engaged and invested in what he has created Okay, so that's one little... Okay, now, as that philosophy kind of uh, progressed, remember we, we briefly looked at... Par I'm trying to keep this short. We briefly looked at Parmenides and Heraclitus, right? Two giants of philosoph philosophical um, thinking at that point. Remember, Parmenides had, had come up with the expression, um, uh, um, whatever is, is. I know that's a simple statement, but I cannot tell you especially in secular categories, when I'm reading secular books, nothing has drawn me more to consideration than that statement. Whatever is, is. And remember, Heraclitus basically illustrated his um, uh, argument with, with uh, you can never step into the same river twice, right? Because basically he's saying all of, we are all in a state of flux. Reality is in a state of constant change. And so later, Aristotle would kind of argue against him and say, if, if, if everything is in a state of flux, then all it is is potentiality. Remember? And I bemoaned. That's why I bemoaned that whole phrasing, reach your potential. You know, that's not a thing. Potentiality is not actuality. Potentiality is basic, basically a possibility. You're potentially anything. So if, you're all, if all you are is potential, then all you are is not. If you are only potential, then you are actually nothing. Does that make sense? Okay, that might take some little bit of meditation, but it's very important. So that that's but after those two giants of Greek philosophy were at odds. Remember, I even said that's that's what began a long period period of skepticism, where people denied 
that you could you could actually come to this ultimate reality because these two giants are you know differ as you know as it relates to these things. Who are we? Who are we to suppose we could actually come to ultimate reality? So they were completely skeptical, and that degenerated into into gross immorality. Let's put it that way. Where one school were called the hedonists, which we've discussed. Those were those were those who would maximize pleasure. They would literally have feasts and feasts, and they would eat as much as they could, drink as much as they could, go and throw it up, come back and eat some more again, and drink some more again, have sex with whomever, have orgies without end, all sorts of madness, which later became a frustration. So the Epicureans actually kind of found this middle ground, right? Because ultimately, if you don't, they're saying, if you don't acquiesce to these temptations, if you don't acquiesce to these desires, you get frustrated, okay? But if you indulge too much, you get bored, okay? So they basically said, there, there's, you gotta hit the right amount of adultery, you gotta have, hit the right amount of bulimia, you know, and just, so, just that much. You know, you don't want to overindulge kind of a thing. Otherwise, you'll be bored kind of a thing. So they are trying to measure, like, that whole thing. The Stoics were, and this is kind of, and let me also say, I find this to be a very fitting thing. The only two philosophies in the Bible are the Epicureans and the Stoic philosophers. Interestingly, these two philosophies, unknowingly to most people, are the two largest philosophies. These are the gods of our age. This is the spirit of our age. Epicureanism, so hedonism to a certain extent, right? I mean, people aren't, you know, other than, especially morally, the, you know, the authorities of our time or whatever is, are not, certainly aren't, um, aren't encouraging uh, abstinence, as far as sex is concerned, they, they want to give you all sorts of birth controls because you're just, it's just impossible for you to say no kind of a thing, that kind of a thing. But this is large in our time. Stoics kind of keep a stiff, stiff upper lip, you know, basically they say we have no power as to what happens to us. We have no power. So what we, what we have to do is develop this character to, to no matter what happens, never get too high and never get too low. Right? If, if terrible things happen, we basically, you know, accept that for what it is. Their mantra is basically, que sera, sera, whatever will be, will be. And so what they're saying is, you, you keep the same character, you keep the same demeanor throughout whatever occasion, whatever happens to your, in your life, you keep a stiff upper lip and you just roll with the punches kind of a thing. That's very prevalent in our day too. Okay, we'll return to that, but there's like the little introduction. That's all we're saying about philosophy. Okay, so these two people encountered him and said, what does this babbler want to say? I mean, obviously, that's a, that's a pejorative of sorts. I mean, because they think what his preaching is, and we will even see next week, uh, they, they mock him because of the resurrection and all that. You have to understand, in Greek philosophical categories, much like the Manichaeans, they thought the, the physical was evil. Anything material, anything physical is evil. Only that which is invisible 
and incorporeal. So corporeal, I didn't mention, but corporeal is material things, basically. You have a corporeal body, kind of a thing. Uh, it, but incorporeal is invisible, obviously. So um, they had a big problem with that. Okay. Uh, others said uh, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because, I mean, he is proclaiming a god foreign to them. Um, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. Well, there's part of it. Uh, and they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. That's that. So this, so basically, what they're saying is, this is great. You know, this is interesting. Uh, you know, this is this is very foreign to us. But let's get out of the marketplace and go to the place. Go to the place where you can have a large audience and everybody will just sit and listen to you. Okay, because this is kind of fascinating because. Uh, we want to know, for the, all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Again, just like we do. We are only interested in that which is new. If it's old, yesterday's news is boring. You know, if it's old, especially if it's of antiquity, we want nothing to do with it. You know, again, we just live in our own time and just accept the world as what it, for what it gives to us. Okay. And we'll, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more. But it's important, again, all of this can be applied to America. Not Western worlds in general, but specifically America. Probably way larger than in other areas. We'll get to that. Okay, um, so therefore we want to know what these things mean. Okay, because he's bringing some strange things to their ears. You know, they haven't heard. This is the first time that... Okay, I mean, he would speak into the marketplace, but this is the first time he's giving a speech specifically, really, just for pagans. And I just find this so fascinating in God blessing his word through this because there can be nothing more applicable to our time than this. We're going to go into more of the meat of the sermon next week, but right now we are, we are setting up the parameter for before we get to that, okay? We're, we're setting up the parameters. I guess it's not just one parameter. But anyway, that's what we're doing. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the, the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this, with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, uh, I proclaim to you. So, Paul stood in the midst of the area and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. If anybody knew Paul, they would know that's not a compliment. Remember, we were talking about the difference between religion and faith. Religion is what man does. Traditions and ceremonies and all that, which Paul never preaches. He preaches Christ. He preaches through the scriptures and he preaches Christ. Preach, uh, Paul, aside from Christ, was the greatest expository preacher ever. And that's what he does. That's not what he's doing here because these people don't know that. Remember? Remember we were talking about that too. He uses uh, one of their poets later in his sermon. But he's, he's using what they know. Okay, so, so he's going through and he says, this sounds like a compliment. I perceive that in all things you're very religious. <laughs> so it's, but it's not a compliment. But, you know, again, this is, as an apologist, that is a crafty move. That is a very crafty move because he's being honest, but he's also, you know, it, you know, it wouldn't automatically be perceived that way kind of a thing. For, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, which would be numerous. 
numerous, many different gods, many different gods. And again, we even mentioned just to hedge their bets, just in case they didn't consider a god or something for which to be a god over, they were, they're going to just worship this unknown god. So they even had an altar to the unknown god. And then he says, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Even he hasn't read, he hasn't written Romans one by this point or Romans at all at this point. But remember in Romans one, we've looked at the problem with people is not, is not that they don't know him. The problem is that they hate him or suppress him. Remember? So he, he's saying the one really that you worship proclaiming you don't know the one that you've suppressed the one that you've made this altar to because you've suppressed him so much and now you're making all these other gods so the really the one you have determined to leave unknown this god i proclaim to you okay very important so that's all we're going to look at with the scripture now so christ said in luke uh, 7 31 through 34 to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the fruit, flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say he has a demon. The son of man has come er, eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard. That's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. I don't know how that happened. But so... What, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? Just so you know, this is not when Christ talks about generations, especially in the last days. He is talking about time, time until he comes again, basically. So this applies also to our generation and all the generations since he said this and well, in particular, our generation. I'll put it that way. Uh, they are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. No matter what we do, you were not capitulating. You know, we, we're, we're singing, you know, we're playing the flute for your, for your joy and your happiness, and you're not dancing. We played a dirge, you know, this, this, this sad, mourning song, and you did not weep. You know, what's going to make you happy kind of a thing. What he's saying is, this is foolishness. So let's just finish it. John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. You say he has a demon. <laughs> the son of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And we'll get to this part. But so what he's saying is, you know, it doesn't matter what happens. You rejected John because he came eating no bread. You know, he came in, you know, uh, uh, camel skin, all raggedy, never cut his hair. You know, it's lit, pretty much grew up in the wilderness. You got to think this like filthy, like you think about a hippie who just goes off. But this one had been like that for pretty much most of his life. So really dirty <laughs> and, and only ate locusts and honey, you know, never touched a drink in his life. Totally ascetic for that kind of purpose, you know, withdrawn from the world so much uh, in that way. Then Christ came eating and drinking. Christ came doing, doing the, the, that which they had a problem that he wasn't doing, basically. He was too austere for them. John the Baptist was too, too austere, too, too much, just too legalistic kind of a thing. They didn't like it. <laughs> you know? And then Christ comes eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, never satisfied never satisfied the problem isn't 
the, the message or the messenger. The problem is the men and women refusing it. Okay. Wisdom is justified by all her children. We're going to read a lot of Proverbs 1 and all of Proverbs 2. There's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. We've kind of briefly talked about that. But you can have knowledge without wisdom. You cannot have wisdom without knowledge. A lot of people will say that, and it's the spirit of our age. But no, you cannot have wisdom without knowledge. In fact, you have to have knowledge in order to become wise. And we'll see that even in Proverbs. But what he's saying is wisdom, the world, the world's wisdom is condemned by all her children. Think about, think about the wisdom and the spirit of our age. We've talked about psychologists. They literally have, you know, we, talk, we hear a lot about the separation of church and state and everything. The psychologist is a this whole thing is like a religion. Remember how it even started in at least when Freud, just so you know, psycho psychoanalysis has been going on even in the Bible. And we'll get to that. But the psychology, the, uh, the modern psychology began with nihilism. And Freud really was an apostle to nihilism. That's their God. And then they, they, they build a control center, basically, so that if any psychologist speaks something outside of what this center says you can say, you can lose your license. Jordan Peterson is going to court in Canada because not of what he did with a client, but somebody else heard something that he said, probably having something to do with transgenderism, something that he said, and they had a big problem with it because that doesn't cohere to the psychological center, the epicenter of psychology. They are saying they, they, that authority is based on nihilism, really, Ultimately, again, whether they ex even embraced that or even thought about it for a second, that doesn't matter. Ultimately, that's what it is. And remember, I even acquiesced and I said one of the, one of the true elements of psychology is noticing that suppression. Remember, you go, to a, you go to a doctor, you do some inkblot tests, or they can ask you these penetrating questions to see what you are suppressing. But they are suppressing God. So, even in psychology... They, they see a suppression, but they don't see that it's God. So, their wisdom is justified, or is condemned by all her children. Everybody's given all this medicine for depression, and only getting more depressed. I had a best friend who was, uh, who was diagnosed with bipolarism, ended up killing himself after he was taking a bunch of medicine. We feed we feed the monster with nonsense. If they ever, ever came to themselves and noticed sin, sin is the problem. Depression is not the problem. Sin is the, is the origin of depression. Tr terrible things happen. Terrible things happen. And there's a way to deal with that. Go to, going to God is actually <laughs> that which the means and the primary means and the only true way to stop suppressing this stuff. Wisdom is justified by all, all her children. What he's saying is, you fools. The, the, the fool in the Bible is that the one who doesn't believe God, believe in God. Okay, that's important to recognize. It's not saying that these are stupid. 
Although, to disbelieve in God, I'm sorry. With all the proof that he's, with all the evidence, and with just it, it being completely irrational not to, he's saying, your foolishness is condemned by all your children. The spirit of our age pushes all of this nonsense, talks about how women should be sexy, you know, how, how, how you know, but then they'll say, you know, the, the woman's body isn't like a, a, what is it, a product or whatever, an object. And, but then they're saying, no, no, don't wear anything. Basically, whatever. There are just all these things. Again, going back to even the sexuality, you know, where they're not pushing abstinence. They hate abstinence. They think that they, they actually will go against you. If you're a counselor within, because that licensing community, and you try to, and that's why there's a distinction, though. That's why we have Christian counselors, because they're freed from that, uh, that cult. I'm going to call it a cult. It's a cult. So, they're freed from that. But if anybody within that cult tries to preach abstinence, abstinence instead of birth control, they are likely, or they're at least going to be penalized in some way. And too many of those, they lose their license. Jordan Peterson has to get re-educated. He's got to like go through these. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Nazis did. They're on little re, you know, re-education camps. <sighs> but, so, foolishness is condemned by all his children. Wisdom is justified by all her children. We're going to see in Proverbs, wisdom calls aloud in the streets. Wisdom seeks after, but then men reject her. They just reject her. They, they ignore her, and we'll see that. But Christ is saying, His wisdom, because He is the true, He is where we get wisdom. It's, it is an attribute of God. It is not a God itself. It is an attribute of God, the perfectly omniscient, all-knowing, all-loving. Wisdom includes all of those. Grace, mercy, love, um, respect, uh, all of those. True wisdom has all of those things combined. Love, actual love, doesn't exist without wisdom. Grace and mercy doesn't exist without wisdom. All of those, they're beautiful. It's one, again, they're basically members of the same body, which is Christ. He is the source of wisdom. The wisdom, yet wisdom is justified by all, all her children. In, so in Greek categories, they're looking for the RK, right? In Hebrew categories, God had already established that he existed. Again, the Psalms say, the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God, or the heavens declare the, earth, the glory of God and the earth, uh, his handiwork. You know, they already, they already see that God has established his existence. The question of the Hebrew is, who is he? Who is this God? And then we finally come to that occasion at the burning bush. I am that I am. There's a lot there because... You know, we talked about human becoming because we are in a state of flux. We know we are changing. But Paul will say, and this is this is important. I just kind of want to lay this out on really briefly. Paul will say, in God, we live and move and have our being. In Greek categories, that would be a huge deal. 
Again, they're looking for the operon. What is the one thing that brings meaning to this stuff? What is the one thing that brings the meaning and all this diversity? What is this life about? So in God, we live. They talk about motion. They talk about motion in all sorts. Remember, even Aristotle said God was un, the uh, uncaused first cause and he's an unmoved mover, right? So motion is a big deal for them. Motion, it, we can't just think about moving around. The motion to them is kind of any changing, even getting older is a motion kind of thing. So in him, we live. In him, we move. And we've talked a lot about being. So I hope I don't really have to spend much time on that. But we talk about being, and especially in, in Greek categories, those differences between being and becoming, Parmenides and Heraclitus. In him, we have our being. Though we're changing, though, though we're adapting and getting older, our being is found in the only true being, the supreme being, because his being is inherent. He has being in and of himself. Remember, we talked about that. So he gives being to everything else because he's the source of being. He's the one who contains the attribute of being. So in him, we live and move and have our being. Very brief, but we'll get into that more, especially when he talks about it. Wisdom is justified by all her children. Again, the wisdom, especially as it applies to Christ. So, the, the difference between the spirit of this age and the spirit of the Christian, who knows they need a savior, who knows who, who God has graciously shown themselves and where they've come to themselves, they see their sin. And that wise, prudent, salvific plan of God is justified by all the children that he's procured through his crucifixion. This is, this is something that, 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 that Paul talks about. This is a stumbling block to the Jew. Christ crucified in his resurrection. A stumbling block to the Jew. And it's foolishness to the Greek. It's a stumbling block because... Well, for a number of reasons, which we get into many, many different times. It's foolishness to the Greek because in Greek categories, again, the material and the non-material and all that, I, I just want to say, in his crucifixion, his salvation, his pouring out all of his blood, God coming down into the flesh, into, into flesh and tabernacling among this earth to suffer. That is the wise, wise plan, an eternal plan of God for eternity. The spirit of the age is nothing. It falls. It has no substance. It has no being. Everybody who attacks the word of God attacks it through these backward, weird, only theoretical and non-empirical ways, non-historical ways, and foolish ways because they want to suppress him, and they want to do this and encourage others to do the same. Remember, we saw that. I think it was uh, the 32nd verse in uh, Romans 1. But wisdom is justified by all her children. The wise plan of God, the just, the just one, and his plan is justified by his fruit. All his children. All, all our brothers and sisters in Christ, the fruit 
of the womb of the wisdom of God, planned in all eternity, and God sent his Son to suffer for us. Very wise plan of God that the world rejects. We'll, we'll find uh, uh, primitive and obscene. We talked about that a little bit. We'll talk, we'll talk about it's primitive and obscene. It absolutely is primitive and obscene. It's also for us. Okay? Praise God. Any questions? That's all we're looking at today. We're making good on time. All right. Okay. Still okay. Should have cut this out. Sorry. All right. So, like I said, we're going to read um, uh, verse. So, Proverbs 1 1 through 7, and then 20 through 33, and then we'll jump into the second, uh, second chapter. I strongly encourage you to read Proverbs. In, in fact, just this week, just read it. Read it. Trust me, you'll have to return to it. <laughs> you know? Short? Uh, not really. I mean, it's short compared to a lot of others, but that shouldn't be important. It's short enough to read in a week, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Alright. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction. To, per to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel, to understand a proverb and enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you, because I have called and you refused. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your when your terror comes like a storm, and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. My son, if you receive my, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Uh, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness and uh, then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity in every good path. When wisdom enters your heart, knowledge is ple pleasant to your soul. Discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of unrighteousness, uprightness. 
to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil, and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked, and who are devious in their paths, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, and forgets the covenant of her God. For her, for her house leads down to death, and her paths to the dead, none who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you may walk in the way of goodness, and keep to the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the unfaithful will be, will be uprooted from it. Neither wood, or stone, or precious metals are meet to be revered. Alone upon thy blossomed petals are our hearts rightly steered. For down the vestiges of vainest vice are the mind and soul of man. The wise are fools, and fools made wise by God's wise eternal plan. For wisdom cries aloud down all streets, she yearns and bids the whole world come, and they who seek the, she gladly meets, for the meek man must succumb. Though the world should build an altar, and ascend a mighty hill, not one, not one flies beyond the psalter, where wisdom doth fulfill. The word of God is a fountain of life, and its waters have not a shore. So though foolishness and blindness are rife, wise endless streams run evermore. For where fools might abound to the ether, and though supermen fill up the skies, the wisdom of God to believers is the only true hope for the wise. Right, let's pray. Father, I praise you for your providence, and grace and mercy and love and salvation in your infinite infallible wisdom. Father, Give us minds and ears of understanding, hearts to worship you and adore you in understanding your holy word, understanding who you are, who your son is, and the spirit who dwells within us. Father, give us eyes to see, and ears to hear, world without end. In the name of your son we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to CFIRE Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue into the Word of God.